Hey everyone, this is Josh Shacknow, Canadian immigration lawyer and CEO at Visto.ai for another episode of the Canadian Immigration Pros podcast. Pardon me. I am joined by Doug Ataga. Doug, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Yep, it's my pleasure. Doug, can you just start by giving us a quick introduction? A lot of our listeners have kind of been following us for a little bit. They know a little bit about my background, so I'll save people that part. Um, can you just give us a quick intro, a little bit more about yourself and your experience with Canadian immigration? Okay. My name is Doug Ataga, and I'm RCRCIRB. I attended Queen's University, where I studied Canada Immigration and Citizenship Law. And then, yeah, I'm proud to that, I have a master's, like three different master's in three different areas. And... Uh, Yes, I started practicing uh, immigration last year. I have experience with TRVs majorly. And, uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah, I would like to talk about the challenges that Canada immigration is faced right now. For sure. And I mean, it's it's good timing, right? I'll, I'll date this recording January 16th, 2024. The, the, the episode might release a few days later. But there's a lot of discussion these days, right, around the international student industry, the immigration numbers, all that stuff that we're, that we're going to dive into. Why don't we kick things off with that, right? I mean, a lot of talk around the international student space. Doug, what are your thoughts on, and, and maybe we can eventually go into more detail on what's happening, especially for those that might not know. But what are your initial thoughts on, on the international student industry in Canada and maybe worldwide and, and, and you know, any thoughts or concerns? Yeah, international student, it's, it's a huge and creative business for these colleges and in, in Canada and elsewhere like Australia and New Zealand and the United Kingdom as well. And these other countries are also facing a very strong challenges concerning this international student right now. And uh, to me, I think the government, I believe the government is right. They're on the right path to cap the number of international students coming into Canada because it's a money boomer, more money booming industry for the, for these colleges because they offer them programs that don't lead them to anything. Some of them even eight month programs is, is, is terrible right now. And then you have some international students coming and they're going to food banks and everything. Things are getting tougher. Uh, also, uh, a student that I had uh, to get visa study permit to come into Canada. Shortly after he arrived in Canada, he called me, oh, can I claim refugee? And I'm like, are you crazy? No, you can't do that. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Somebody had advised me to do that. I said, you don't do that. You need to go to your school. You know? So something has to be done, and it has to be done very urgently by the federal government because the province and the territories don't seem to want to step on the game. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a broad topic with with issues and, and elements at so many different levels, right? I mean, immigration is, is regulated by IRCC Immigration Canada, which is, a, you know, federal. And then you have schools that are regulated at the provincial level, provincial. right? And then you have issues, you know, like healthcare, which is also provincial. And then, you, you know, you have housing, which is sometimes municipal. But just to give people some background, I mean, I didn't even know about this industry until I got into immigration. I'm, I'm not sure about you, Doug, but what a lot of people may not know is how a lot of these colleges and universities work, especially with international students, is that they tend to work with large study abroad agents or, you know, numbers of study abroad agents or sub agents or aggregators. And the schools pay thousands of dollars to these agents around the world to effectively outsource their recruiting, right? So for example, I'm just going to pull a, a, a school out of my head, right? Like Algoma, right? They don't have a team necessarily on the ground in countries around the world, or maybe they don't want to pay for a team to go recruit around the world. So they just pay commission to agents that might be in India, in Africa, in you know any parts of the world that, that are sending students here. 
Now, the problem that Doug is kind of alluding to that I want to dig into a little bit further is that these are weird incentives, right, in, in my opinion, because all these study abroad agents around the world, how are they incentivized? They're really incentivized by volume because they only get their commission if the student gets accepted and then shows up to the school and starts paying tuition. That's right. So what does that mean is we're seeing a lot of these agents push students to whatever programs have the highest approval rate and not necessarily to what's best for them or best for the, the student's career down the road or what's best for, for the economy. So Doug, I'd love to hear more about what do you think, and, and I've been seeing a lot of this chatter and enjoying a lot of the chatter on, on LinkedIn. What do you think are some of the biggest problems? I'm also curious, I don't know much about the markets in Australia and the UK. So if, if you happen to have some insights on Australia and UK, can you talk about what are the challenges there? Are, are they very similar to Canada? And then secondly, what do you think are some of the steps that our government or governments should think about taking to help solve the problem? Are you, are you talking about strictly or international student or just immigration generally? Yeah. Let's start with the students and then we can broaden it even further and, and, and you know, we can talk about immigration as a whole. Okay. So I will start with the United Kingdom. So the UK initially, when they pulled out of the EU, they started luring students and people from Africa majorly. And then for the, for the, for the UK, they, 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 they take this visa fees and all these payments as, as a revenue generation drive. So they didn't care initially, you know, for people to come in and then they're going to make more money anyways. So, but then they started having problems because I visited the United Kingdom in May of last year. It's, the country is filled up with foreigners all over the place. So now they have very strict. Let me use immigrants now. Let me, they, 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 they have very serious issues now. Is is they they having issues with paying pension? So they 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 having issues with delivering on services for this for this immigrant. So recently, by January the first, I think, or the fourth, they came up with a, a new policy that these immigrants coming from Africa and India and every other country like that, they can no longer sponsor their family. They can no longer come 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 with their dependents. So, which I find very topping because why, why would they, a mother of two kids or three kids or even one would be leaving a country and to go to the UK without being able to reunite with the family? That's very disturbing for me. So, to talk about Australia, I think Australia too is dealing with the same situation as Canada. However, Australia have decided to cut down on the, on the number of international students and immigrants they, they, they're taking in. Hmm. So, do, that, do that, think... that, that's one of the... That, sorry, sorry to cut to that. I think that's one of the ways... The government of Canada can, can really step in to address this big problem by putting a cap on the international students. Right. And, and that's been in the news a lot because the immigration minister, Miller, has kind of hinted at it, right, a little bit. What, what it seems to be right now is a threat, right? He's kind of saying, hey, agents, hey, schools, we see what you're doing. We don't like it. Right now, there is no cap. But if you kind of keep behaving the way you're behaving then, you know, capping would not be out of the question. The reason why that's so important is because it's such a huge industry, right? It generates, I think, something like $22 billion a year for the Canadian economy. It's, it's, right. it's huge, right? It's one of the biggest industries, I think, in the country, right? Like bigger than many other, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. One of the biggest industries in Canada is just international students coming here and studying at our schools, right? Or quote unquote studying because some of them come and you know, they're, they're, they're coming to study at a college that's set up in a mall that doesn't even have a real classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's all virtual classes or, or mm -hmm. whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Now, do you think, Doug, that do you think they'll put a cap on on study permits? That that could be a big deal, no? But it's 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 very imminent. The government take that step. Why? Because you find out. Okay, take one of the colleges, for example, maybe like Algonquin or Algonquin or whatever. Recently, the Algonquin students, I saw a lot of Indian students demonstrating that they were they they they, they did poorly in one of the their, their courses, and then they needed to upgrade or something. Yeah. yeah. So so that shouldn't happen. So, so you, you realize that some of these colleges, what is even their capacity for each pro, each courses that they admitting people into? Because you're going to find out that maybe a class that's not supposed to be bigger than 21 students, they're admitting like 500 students for that program. And maybe about right. 400 people get visas to come to Canada. So that's where this crisis comes from. And I, I would like to touch on the, on the, on the uh, qualified agents that they use in all these countries. Because all these guys, like you said, they deal with volume. The more students they can recruit for these colleges, the more money they can make. And these colleges don't care because they've, they've already built that money that they're going to pay to the agents into the, into the student institutional fees. Because you find somebody coming for an eight months program and he or she is expected to pay to cover like $15,000. And this course is not even going to lead to anything at the end of the day. You know, and it's not even going to, yeah. going to help the system. It's not going to help the Canada economy in any way because they're not going to get a job. They're not going to be able to work. At the end of the day, they can't get postgraduate work permit. So it doesn't lead them to anything. So the government needs to rein very fast on that issue. And, and, then, and then they need to find out the actors, what are they doing wrong and so that it can be corrected. Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of immigration consultants and lawyers that are recruiters too. The, 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 mm-hmm. the, the colleges must, must insist on using these people. You can't continue to use all these unscrupulous agents. Some of them don't even know what this college is about. They don't know anything about the course. They just keep chunking out admission letters, recycling them, and then... People get admission. You find some students come to Canada. They don't even know where the school is. They don't know. They don't have any information at all. Yeah. No, I mean, one, one exercise that I've found has helped is to, in, in the wise words of, I think it's Charlie Munger, may he rest in peace, is to just follow incentives, right? Like human beings are pretty simple creatures, right? This is a big problem at many levels, right? Schools, immigration, agents, blah, blah, blah. But if you just follow the incentives, which is usually money, right, when you're talking about business, it's actually pretty straightforward, right? You have all of these colleges and universities, not all, right? So you and I are probably going to be talking a lot in generalizations. That's right. We're not saying every single school is bad. We're not saying every single agent is bad, right? But generally speaking, this is why we're here talking about this topic is because there's enough bad actors, right? So what we have is all these colleges and universities that make so much money off international students because their tuition is like three, four times the amount that they can charge domestically, right? So apparently, depending on provinces, they're getting a little bit underfunded by the government. I don't really know, but that's kind of what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they charge huge tuition to international students Mm -hmm. who are willing to pay it because, you know, they want to start a new life in Canada or whatever. That's right. There's virtually no oversight, right? So they get DLI status, or maybe they don't get DLI status. They don't care. And they just try to flood their classes with as many international students that are willing to spend 15, 20K a year on tuition. And instead of doing the recruitment themselves, they outsource it to unregulated study abroad agents all over the world, Mm -hmm. who Canada's probably not going to go regulate. Like, what's Canada going to do? They're going to go chase down agents on the streets of India, you know what I mean? And and Africa and blah, blah, blah. It's not going to happen. So you have these schools inflating tuition. They're just writing commission checks to agents. So they don't even have to do the recruitment. The agents 
go to all these students and promise the world, right? Hey, I'm going to get you into Canada. Oh, but okay, but what about jobs? Don't worry about jobs. We'll we'll get you into the school, and then you know it's it's easy, right? It's easy. Oh, you'll get they're, PR. They're you'll get a, job sometimes. They promise jobs. They mm-hmm. promise PR. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, a lot of these students are 16, 17, 18 years old, right? They don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And maybe this agent, you know, maybe their friend used the agent once and, you know, they got them an approval. So they're like, oh, good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And then one of the big problems is that a lot of the issues don't show up till years later, right, Doug? Like yes. you might be a student and you might be getting the, you know, the the towel thrown over your head or whatever the the expression is mm-hmm. at the beginning, the agent's promising you the world. But as long as they get that study permit approved, you're happy. You don't realize that in two years from now, you might not be able to get a PGWP. If you get a PGWP, you might not be able to get skilled work. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to get skilled work, you might not be able to get PR. Mm -hmm. You're probably working a crap hourly job with increasing housing prices and cost of living. And now more so than ever, we're seeing students go back home, right? So it's very sad. I think that the recent proof of funds requirement increase was probably a, a good sign. Would you agree yeah. with that, Doug? Did you like that move? Well, it's a good uh, thing in the right direction, but however, I believe that these uh, unscrupulous agents will find a way around it. That's not a, that won't be right. a big problem for them to find a way around. I, I think I agree. And, and just to fill in the blanks for those, when you're applying for a study permit in Canada, you have to show a minimum number of funds, aka a minimum amount of money to show that you can you know, afford to live in Canada. It was $10,000 Canadian up until, well, this month actually, right? 15 yep. days ago, it came into effect, which $10,000, if you're going to live in downtown Toronto, good luck, right? So anyways, they recently just over doubled it to 20600 and something, I think. I agree with you. I think it's, I do think it's a step in the right direction because at least now students have to think a little bit more and plan a little bit better if they're actually right. going to make that move because they mm-hmm. need more money. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the agents will still go find the students that are, you know, willing and able to do it. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, Doug, what would you do? Let's say, let's say you are now, you snap your fingers, you're, you're Minister Miller, and you're at a meeting to make a plan to fix the international student industry. What would you do? Or what are the three or five things that you might do to, to, to try and fix it? So the, the, the first immediate thing I'm going to step I'm going to take is to find out from all these colleges, because... This thing has been perpetrated by colleges mostly. So I want to find out what this college's capacity is to admit students in the first place. I want to find out the facility they have, you know? So like, like, like I said, there has to be an oversight. There, there must be a panel or a group that's going to go through all these colleges to find out exactly what their capacity is to even, not even housing now, to even have students come study. Mm-hmm. Because you can, I, I do expect if you have a class that should house 20 people, and then you are admitting 500 people for that same cause. That is crazy. And then did you see sec- the articles? Sorry to cut you off. From there were, I think, two instances last semester where colleges had to basically they approved students. Let's say they approved like you know 2,000 students, and then the students got their visa, and like a month or two before the course was going to start. They basically sent letters to like 500 of those students and were like, sorry, we don't have room for you. you I, saw, I, saw, I, I saw that. I think somewhere in, in a school in New Brunswick or something. It was, was two or three schools. I no, saw that multiple two. I saw, I saw that on New Brunswick and I'm like, what? This is crazy. And Can you, you imagine, know? Yeah, imagine so, being those students? That's crazy. So anyways, that just goes to your first point, which I think is a good one. Yeah. So, so secondly, the, the other step that they have taken for the IRS is to verify admission 
of student admission before acceptance letters are issued is also very good, but I don't know how effective that can be. Another thing is, I mean, you talked about the increase in, in the, what's it called now? Increase the fees verification for, to show that you can take care of yourself in Canada from 10 to $20,000, even though I believe they'll find a way around it. And generally, I believe the government should just place a cap on international students right now. Yeah. What, what number would you pick if, if you were to put a cap in place? Yeah. So like I said, I, I would love to do that verification first, that first that move that I said I was going to make. So with that uh, verification, that will tell me what I think it should be. Because okay, right so now we're saying, talking about almost 900,000 international students in Canada. That's great. So, so you're saying, and, and this sounds like a pretty good idea to me, which is go to all the schools, see what their capacity is for mm -hmm. a, you know, an average student body in a year. Tally all those numbers up and that's your cap. So let's say, let's say, let's say all the schools in Canada can reasonably fit 200,000 students right. per year. You just cap the study permit approval at 200K. It, it would be less and, and I'll tell you why. So recently I saw a chart on LinkedIn that showed the college's admission, the, their graduate and employability. So that, that's another index that I'm going to use, because if you look at that, look, you guys are bringing 200,000 in the last 10 years, you've brought in this number of students, and this is the only fraction that's been able to get a job. So what mm -hmm. are we talking about here? So that one has to go down drastically. So right. you need to really, really regulate yeah, those colleges because you can't just continue to make them have DLI for different courses. They should even appraise all those programs that they, that they offer as well. They should be appraised. I, I totally, I totally agree. I don't, I didn't understand when recently they were talking about creating that trusted institution framework. Mm. And I was like, what do you need a new framework? You should be going and reevaluating every single school with DLI status. Yeah. If, if they, if they're not a trusted institution, Drop them. why should they even have their DLI status, let alone trusted institution? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you on, on many fronts. I think a cap would be interesting. I don't necessarily think a cap should be the long-term solution, but at the very least, it would scare a lot of these shady players into behaving correctly, hopefully. Right? So, 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 so the good thing about a, a, a cap is in the short run, it's going to help you to, to, to put a hold, a freeze on that astronomical increase while mm -hmm. you do your, your, your back-end job to find out exactly what the problems are and then you can mitigate right. it and then you can decide if you want to increase it in the future or not. I, I agree. I mean, also, if you look at the numbers, this industry has gone nuts in the last 10 years, right? Absolutely. Like if you go to like 2015, I think, I think IRCC approved something like 150K study permits yeah. in 2015. Yeah. 2022, 2023, they're approving something like five, 600,000 study permits in a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're not talking about 10, 20% increases, right? We're talking about like this industry, like five X in a matter of six, seven years, how in the world could the infrastructure match that? Right. Like this is one of your main points that you've been kind of alluding to Doug is if the number of students goes up five X in six years, there's no way the schools are increasing their number of classrooms by five, six X, right? The number of teachers by, you know, the number of support to help them five, find jobs, right? By five, mm -hmm. six X. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that the activity has gotten so shady in this industry that 
he should probably slap a cap on it. It'll make them wake up pretty damn quick, right? If you're a college and all of a sudden you're capped to 50% of the students that you allowed yeah. in last well, year, you're going to think gonna really quick. Yeah. Or half of them will probably go out of business, right? Maybe not half, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. A good percentage of them, right? Mm -hmm. a, a good percentage of the, the shady colleges and a good percentage of the study abroad agents probably go out of business overnight, right? Definitely. Within the first, so, you so, know, some of them have not been had a name before. When I see a potential <laughs> client, them, oh, I got that. And they're like, what school is that? I go and go, yeah. I Some of them maybe just want apartment, you know? So it's very ridiculous to me. And they, they charge they charge fees in the range of twenty something to thirty five thousand dollars. I like where are you guys getting yeah. this money from, you know. So well, it's, it's... what I've heard is I, I don't do as much international student work. I certainly stay up to date on the news and and I love talking about it like this, right? Like I think these are great conversations to have. But what I've heard is you basically have people who will go get you know an approval to be a DLI or whatever that process is, and they'll open up like basically an office in a mall right? Like you'll have a front office in a mall and have no classrooms and everything is virtual, or maybe you have one classroom, but you'll have dozens of classes and most of it's online and students will come to Canada and they'll never step foot on your quote unquote campus, which is an office in a mall, right? Mm -hmm. And you run it all virtual and you're charging these students 10, 15, 20 K, you know, a pop. It, it's a great business, right? It's like borderline criminal. Very lucrative sounds like. colleges, yeah. But yeah, very, very good business. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I would add, Doug, to um, some of your ideas, which I think are good ones, is we need to better integrate the international student program with the labor needs of Canada. Absolutely. Because one concern I'm having, and, and maybe you've noticed this too, over the last like three to six months, is the sentiment of Canadians towards immigration has really gone down a lot from what I'm seeing. And maybe maybe we can segue this into the talk on you know immigration numbers in general. But even while we're still on international students, I think a big problem is now people think immigrants equal bad because more immigrants means housing prices go up, which means that's bad for me as a Canadian citizen, right? Or Canadian PR. But I think what some people don't realize is we need, we still need immigrants really badly. Why? I mean, number one, it's a huge industry, right? The, the, the international student industry is, is big, but more importantly, we need, we still need a lot of skilled workers, right? Well, Canada, we is a country, Canada is a country that is built on immigration, immigrants. So there's no way we can, we can avoid it. Yeah. But so not only is, is it basically part of our history, but a lot of people don't realize that we have an extremely old and aging economy or Fine. demographic, right? Or population or whatever you want to call it. If we fast forward 10, 20 years and we don't continue bringing in immigrants, you know, 60% of our population are going to be in old folks' homes, not working, not paying any taxes or, or very low taxes, right? Because their, their income's lower. Who's going to do everything? Who's going who's gonna to fix your broken toilet, right? Who's going to work at all these tech companies? Who's going to, uh, you know, build all the homes that we apparently need, which we do, right? Who's going to build them, right? So what I think we need to do is, yes, some of the things that you suggested, but also only like, can we somehow make the study permit program a little bit more like, or a little bit more in tune with express entry? And what I mean by that is if we let in 500,000 international students a year, I bet you like, you know, a quarter of them are going to take 
stupid programs, right? Part, pardon my pardon my language, but like useless programs, right? They're going to take business admin or intro to this or blah, blah, blah to that, which there's nothing wrong with those topics, but they're not being set up for success to join the work market, right? We don't need another 100,000 business admin graduates, right? We need tradespeople. We need tech people. We need STEM people. We need healthcare workers, right? Imagine if we had, you know, an extra 20, 30,000 nurses graduating every year and pushing them to the right communities, right? So not everyone's living in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, whatever, right? Like if we got strategic or the government got strategic, because you and I can't do all that much, although hopefully talking about it helps a little bit. But imagine if the government got more strategic, did some things that you recommended, get everybody in line, but also pushed all these students or only attracted the students to fit the shortages that we have in the workplace, right? We'd have higher quality students. They'd be more employable right when they graduate. It would help our economy. It would fill the gaps. So that's what I think is another, you know, I don't know if you agree, disagree, have any thoughts on that. Well, I, I yeah, think yeah, that should be yeah, a huge yeah, focus. Yeah, but just, just, to address, just to speak to your concern. So there are three major players in this, to this problem. One is the government. Then you have the IRCC, which is part of the government too. And then the schools now. The, the students are on, are, are on the receiving end always. So, 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 so that's why I've said that the government needs to do an oversight, check all these colleges, what programs have they accredited before now? If these programs don't align with the needs of Canada economically, forget about it. There's no point. Right. Yeah. You, you see people talking about business, business admission, business admission, business, business, this, it's something tech and something innovation. What is innovation? Innovation and technology, and you are charging somebody thirty-five thousand dollars. I said to one of my clients, "What? This, you're just wasting this money. What are you going? There's, there's, there are better occupations, you can, or programs you can do in care. What are you going to do this? Whatever for? They call it MBA, whatever, just to sweeten it. And then you think it's oh, that you're not going to get anywhere with it. So having said that, so so the government needs to reaccredit all these colleges. Any any program that doesn't align to our need, let them go. And then the RCC themselves. I think the RCC is still acting 20 years backward. They need yeah. to wake up. They need to wake up and do things differently. Well, I, I think one of the problems is like most government entities, they're very reactive, right? They wait for all these big problems to, to come up and, you know, and then, and then they try to fix them. I think the other problem that I've noticed is like, I have nothing necessarily personally against these immigration ministers, but they come in for two years or however long the terms are, it's too much and then they're policy. gone, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if, like, I think if, I think you should be electing ministers and that all have of experience them go with in that industry. They come with different policies and ideas. Yeah. So you, so you, you get a new minister. There's no continuation. They don't, they don't know much about immigration to begin with, right? right? It probably takes them three to six months just to get onboarded and learn all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then they spend another three to six months making a plan, right? Because all these governments got to go make all these plans. Mm -hmm. And then they might make a few changes and then, and then they're, and then they're gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the circle of life continues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I agree. I don't know what the fix to that problem is right now. We're talking about, you know, how the minister ministerial system and all that kind of stuff works. Yeah. But it, it does seem to me, what do you think about Miller so far? Cause it does seem to, I just posted yesterday on LinkedIn. It does seem like he is ready to put his fist down, right? And be like, listen, schools, agents, if you guys don't get your stuff together, we're considering a cap. We're going to get tougher on this, blah, blah, blah. 
We have to wait and see if he actually does, right? It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do something. But it does seem like he's the first one to kind of, you know, finally step in and take a look at this industry and be like, this is bad. We need to make changes. Well, I'll start by, by saying this. Sean Fraser was good. He had, he had good policies and he had good ideas. And, and then when Miller came in, unfortunately, uh, 2023 was like a bubble. Yeah. So, so right. the bubble blew in 2023. So me, that's why you look at Miller as, oh, okay. Because he has to do something. He needs to step, he needs, he needs to step on the gas and do something about it. Because I mean, at, at, it was that same, was it that same year? We heard about 100 and something uh, people, students from India, who didn't have, who had fake admission letters and all that. Some of these students, I even started, they started doing, working already with work permit. So what do you do? Oh, they were going to deport them. And then later they said, well, it wasn't their fault. They were misled. The few people that are involved in the fraud are going to be dealt with. How do you do that? So, so, so for me, I, and I'm going to go back to blaming the IRCC for that because IRCC should have something in their system to know that. Already, uh, we have approved 300 students for this particular course in a particular college. How big is this college that they're admitting 300 people for, for social work, for example, for this, right. from the same demography, that something is wrong. Then they need to right. check it. So what I suspect yeah. this unscrupulous uh, agents were doing was they get admission for five Nigerian students and they duplicate those admissions for several other people and they go ahead to get visas with it. Yeah. So the RCC has to have an internal control to be able to check, to know how many, for example, say we're supposed to, they're supposed to have like 30 or 40 students in social college, ABC college for social work. How come we have issued 500, 500 uh, study permits already for that same program for that same period? Right. Well, I have one answer as to why, but I also agree, like it, it, it's really up to the regulators. Can you really blame, now you, I, I would, I would. I'll speak on your behalf here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You and I are probably people with honor and integrity, right? So we run our businesses accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. We try to do what's right. Mm -hmm. But can you really blame the schools and the study abroad agents who are playing within the rules? Because there's virtually none, right? Like you said, IRCC, until last year, I didn't know, I didn't realize this, that story, I think you were alluding to where 700 Indian students were caught with mm -hmm. fake LOAs, letter mm -hmm. of approvals, mm -hmm. because their study abroad agent just like printed them out and yeah. they weren't real. Yeah. The biggest surprise to me was that IRCC is not even checking these LOAs. That's what I said. That's right? Me. That's me. an internal control system. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. So like you said, IRCC is basically processing whatever that comes their way and they're not double checking LOAs. They're not, you know, really looking into the schools or, or you know, limiting visas based on schools and, and you know, capacity, the provinces who should be regulating the schools are not really, right? okay. mm -hmm. Now there's all these DLIs. I don't know how half of them still have their status. I don't know how half of them are still running courses the way that they do. And you have these study abroad agents who are not being regulated because nobody in Canada is going to go regulate outside of Canada. It's just too difficult, right? There's not enough resources um, your, you know, your, your solutions are not good enough, right? What, what is Canada going to go sue an agent in court in India, right? Probably so at not. the end of the day, it still boils down to the colleges. Yeah. I think it comes so down true. to the government at the IRCC, mm -hmm. aka federal and provincial slash educational yeah, levels, yeah. right? Now the, the other thing too, that I was going to say, Doug, is, um, like, what do you think? What's the onus on the student here? 
I talk about this a little bit, right? As we just talked about, government's got to do a better job, period, I think. But do you think that there's there should be, especially with all these news articles out there about what it's like in Canada and what it's like working with these agents and all the fraud, I'm kind of surprised that so many of these students blindly trust these agents. Like, shouldn't, and, and this is part of why I like to create content like this, is so hopefully international students or aspiring international students can listen to a conversation like this and be like, holy crap, I didn't realize all of this stuff that's going on and all of these things I should be careful about. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show that, you know, if more and more students worked with regulated, reputable immigration lawyers and immigration consultants, the industry would probably be in a better place. What, what do you think the onus is, if any, on the student to do a little bit more homework and maybe choose who they're working with a little bit more strategically? Yeah, so to speak to that, you find out that only if a, a small fraction of international students that bother to research about even the school, tech lives of the, the agent. Isn't that, that kind of crazy, though? It is. Like, you and your family are, are in some cases, quite literally selling the farm mm -hmm. to be able to send you to Canada, right? To mm -hmm. hopefully start a new life, settle, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Mm -hmm. And you don't even research the, the name of the school or the program. You just yeah, blindly so, trust so, some agents. Yeah, so, so in a number of times and in most times, in most cases, these people are desperate. Like you said, poverty, poverty is, is wicked. So these guys don't, don't care about anything any longer. They are very desperate. They just, they believe, oh, Canada is my dream country since I was young. I just need to get out of here. And this, an opportunity has showed up for me to go to Canada, regardless of right. what it is. They just want to get out. So desperation, economic hardship is everywhere in the world right now. So people are running from everywhere. So the moment the United Kingdom closes their gate, Australia closes their gate. Oh, Canada is the only country that is here to do some. Let's, let me quickly get into Canada before they also close their gate. That, that, that's, right. that's, that's one challenge. So the, the, the students, are, you might want to say, oh, who knows on them to check and all that, but there's a lot of factors, you know, that make them do all yeah. these things. They're desperate. It, it's easy for me to say that, right? I grew mm -hmm. up in Canada. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, I was very lucky. I've had a very privileged mm -hmm. life, right? So mm -hmm. it is easy, easy for me to say this. But right. I, I do hope that moving forward, because it sounds like these other countries, UK, Australia, are having similar issues. Absolutely. So I, I just hope that international students do more homework in the yeah. future, right? Yeah. Okay, yes, you really want to move to Canada or, or wherever you want to start. I get it. But please, for your own sake, what, what a lot of these students don't realize is just getting a study permit approval, that's not the golden ticket yet, right? right. What we're seeing is all these students come to Canada and then they realize they don't like their program or the school is bad or they can't afford to live, right? Or they graduate and can't afford a good job or a job that they expected or a job that makes them eligible for PR. So what happens, and, and this, this, is, this is worse than even getting a glimpse of your dream in Canada, is you spend tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on moving to and studying in Canada and then years go by, and if you can't get PR and your PGWP is expiring and you can't get an LMIA, you might have to go home, right? So, you know, what's worse, right? Yeah, do, yeah. So, do some homework, please, mm -hmm. to the students out there that mm -hmm. are watching. Just do some mm -hmm. homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but most times, what this, another thing these colleges do these days that I found out is they, they, once they give them admission into these colleges, into their program, they make them pay like $8,000 or more. 
So when the student comes and they find out, oh, this is not the kind of school that I thought I was coming to. Okay, I want to go to a proper university, maybe University of Alabama. These colleges don't give them a refund. Mm-hmm. They threaten them with reporting them to IRCC. They'll get deported and all that. And $8,000 is not a small money to, to, to forfeit like that, you know. It's it's crazy. It, I think we can maybe put a pin in that. We definitely agreed. We need to see more oversight. We need to see better regulation. Hopefully that happens. Mm-hmm. Maybe what we can finish on here, Doug, because I think this has been you know a really good conversation on, on what's been, become a very topical issue in Canada specifically. How do you think this all relates to immigration as a whole and like some of the housing issues that were, uh, or, you know, the immigration caps or numbers or, you know, and, and housing and how that's affected? Yeah. So the, another thing I have, my own opinion though, or my belief is you should, we shouldn't have uh, all these international students come study here and then we are not providing a part to PR for them. You know, so why should we have a lot of students, regardless of whatever program they have studied or whatever? We don't have a path to PR for them. And then even some other undocumented immigrants still in Canada, we don't have a path to PR for them. Even though I heard that something is in the pipeline that's going to come up very soon as regards that. Then we, we open the, the, the uh, immigration target to 500,000 or something. When we have thousands of them within Canada still not documented. So why don't we look inward, deal with this to fill that number instead of bringing a new 500,000 are from outside Canada. So this definitely increases the number of immigrants inside. And then once you come, there's definitely going to be pressure. There's going to be a spiral pressure on health sector, on the, on the, on the housing, on the housing area as, as we're currently facing right now. Another, another problem again is you have people, doctors, you have nurses with certificates from Africa and other countries of the world, and then you don't make them work as doctors or nurses here. It's, it's, I've never seen it. It's stupid. So, so these students, yeah. when they come, when these people, when they come, once they grab their PR, they go to Europe where their, 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 their skill is more valued. That's what is happening now. You have a lot of people living in Canada now. So what the government, I, I thought the government should have done is, you said you have, you are, you are a medical doctor, you've been through the medical school and all that for 10, 11 years. Train them, maybe six months or thereabouts, because of course the equipment are different. The equipment they use in the, in the country they're coming from, they've never seen the updated one that they use in Canada right now. Train them for six months or make them, make them understudy a doctor just like, a, like an intern for like a year or something. Mm-hmm. I've, 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 I've an exam or test or something. Okay, these people, they have certified that they can do this job. Then integrate them right there. So there's a problem. There's a very big gap between international medical doctors with, sorry, international doctors with foreign degrees and nurses and, and, then, and then Canada. So they need to fill up that. They need to close up that gap ASAP. And that's one way yeah. they can do it. Unfortunately for Canada, again, the demography for countries from where people are coming to, immigrating to Canada are, are, are countries where people have lots of children. And so before you know it, the population is going to explode, but the, the, the infrastructure is not developing. So in no right. time, we're going to have serious issues because we're talking about filling up the gap. Because a lot of people are aging and they are retiring, but you find that the gap is not being filled up. Why? Because these people coming are young, they are having babies. It takes between one to 18 or 20 years before their babies can grow up to start working. So you find right. that with that gap is still not being filled because the, 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 the highest number of the population, the greater part of the population is going to be kids, children from one to 18 years old. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you've highlighted a few big, like number one is the recertification is, is such a big problem. Like you said, right. 
There's a reason why the joke goes like Canada has the most PhDs driving Ubers, right? Like so many educated and experienced people who ironically we very much need, right? As you alluded to, the nurses, the doctors, it's nuts that so many of them are actually inside Canada as mm. we speak, mm -hmm. unable to do the work right. that they can do, that mm -hmm. they want to do, and that mm -hmm. we even need them to do, mm -hmm. right? But like, if you go look up the recertification process for some of these, you know, occupations, it's just, it's just crazy. So I, I agree with you completely. I hope they make some improvements there. And then I just really hope that they can align the temporary programs with the PR programs, kind of like what you were saying too, right? Mm -hmm. These huge PR numbers. And we have a lot of people in the country on temporary status. Yeah. If we do a better job of bringing in the right temporary residents and making it easy for them to get certified properly in this mm -hmm. in the jobs that we need to fill and then mm -hmm. making a smoother transition to PR, mm -hmm. you know, I, I do think there's actually a great opportunity to, for Canada to come out in a really good place, right, in, in 10, 20 years. But hopefully the right moves are made sooner rather than later and uh, and we can start to see improvements. Yeah, and I also think the government should put more emphasis, or place more emphasis on skilled tradespeople. You need to just Absolutely. attract those ones and forget about this other express entry that we're doing for this other skill because we, we have a lot of them are coming every time. Well, the, the, the well, we, we have the, we have the federal, we have the federal trades, uh, federal I, I, I skilled trades, trades and, yeah. and they even have an industry specific trades draw, but they're not really using them that much. Right. So it's like they're halfway there. They kind of know, but they're not implementing as well as they could. So anyways, hopefully, hopefully we see Something some improvements soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Doug, this this has been a really great discussion. I love talking about this kind of stuff. I, I think it's you know more topical than ever. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights and and feedback and ideas. If there's anybody out there who's interested in you know learning more about you or, or your company or getting in touch, where where can they find you? So my company is Joshan Immigration Services, and I'm located in Richmond, Canada. And my email address is d at tagamen at gmail.com. Awesome. And we'll put a link to the website and, and maybe your LinkedIn profile as well in the description if anyone is interested. Doug, thanks for again thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Josh. My pleasure. You have a good